go. All right, so we're live. Welcome to episode 183 of Out Off Topic. Welcome back, Brad, and welcome back, Mercedes and Andy Lilienthal. Hey there. Did I say that right? You got you it. You did. Thanks for having us again. Third, third time third time's the charm with the name right, Andrew. It's good. Right. <laughs> uh, for those of you that are regular listeners, Andy and Mercedes have appeared on episode 84 and episode 114. Uh, you can go back and check those out. So 84 has their car history and all their like automotive exploits. And then 114 covers Mercedes' um, trek through the Rebel Rally, uh, which is a pretty cool uh, thing. So we don't want to double up and cover those things because we've got some other cool stuff to talk about. So you can go back and listen to those if you want to. If you haven't already, why haven't you? It's right. So how are you guys doing in uh, Andy and Mercedes? We've thawed out since the Alcan. <laughs> well, we've entered a world we don't really know with all of this virus talk. Yeah, we're going to try to like avoid virus talk because this is going to people's escape from virus talk, I think. Yes. Um, yeah. But agreed, it is a weird time and we should mention that we are recording during the uh, pretty much very beginning, I guess, of strange times in, uh, in the United States here. So Uncharted territory in a social experiment nobody wanted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We uh, <clears throat> we're actually recording a little later than planned because I got out of work late because we're working from home starting tomorrow. So there was a bit of planning that had to go go into that. So apologies for the late start, everybody here. But anybody listening won't know that if I didn't say it. So no apologies. <laughs> for that. I just want to mention that about off topics that we like to keep it as a fun escape for people from the world, and we generally avoid world news and uh, any type of politics or anything. So that's the last you'll hear of it. And now we're going to talk super fun car stuff and help get your mind off how crazy everything is. Exactly. You got it. All right. So, Mercedes and Andy, you just completed the Alcan 5000. Uh, and on this episode, we want to hear about it because... I'm not sure exactly I know what the Alcan 5000 is. I feel like I know what it is. It's a TSD across Alaska and Canada. Uh, That's part of it. Yeah. Um, So uh, just a super brief history of what it is. Uh, Alcan, Alaska, Canada, right? Yeah. 5,000. It's approximately 5,000 miles. So um, it's a, uh, it is a a TSD, time speed distance rally. Uh, it starts in Kirkland, Washington, which is Seattle area, and uh, the the route changes. Uh, they've been doing it since they've been doing the Alcan Rally itself since 1984. Uh, those were summer rallies. Uh, they started the first Alcan 5000 Winter Rally in 1988, and so um, it starts out this year. Started out in Kirkland, Washington, like I said. Um, you go through British Columbia, you go through Yukon Territories, you go through Northwest Territories, you go all the way to the Arctic Ocean up at Tuktoyaktuk. Uh, say that 10 times fast. As north as you can go, or it's as north as, <laughs> as north as you can drive uh, in, in Canada. And it's the only place, I believe, in North America where you can actually drive to the Arctic Ocean on a road. And then um, we doubled back uh, and then went through Fairbanks and ended in Anchorage. And so, well, 
it was uh, slated for a one thousand, excuse me, five thousand one hundred and twenty miles on on the route book, and then um, uh, the whole the whole deal was though is that's on all not on the rally clock, if you will. I mean, it, it, it is, it is, and it isn't. The time speed distance parts generally happen one in the morning, one in the afternoon, or there would be just one during the day. Or they could throw in an evening one too. So for anybody that's familiar or mildly familiar with time speed distance rally, um, you know, you show up, you get a car number, um, you're out at your car number time. So first car is out at 8.01. We were car 39, so we were out at 8.39. Um, and then you have a route book, tells you to turn left here, turn right here, change your average speed to, so on and so forth. So we, we would have the actual timed competition aspect of it, and then we would have a transit. Now, yeah. anybody that's ever done a t- TSD, a transit, maybe, you know, two miles, 20 miles, something like that, that's going to get you from one part of the rally to the second stage. Um, on Alcan, <laughs> your transits are like 400 miles. Or 600 miles. Or 600 miles. Within a day. And not every single day we had a TSD, but most days we did. So it's, what it really is, is it's, it's, it's a combination of TSD rally, crazy road trip, and... Uh, Arctic challenges. Arctic survival and... Well, especially uh, for the winter. Let's see, malnourishment, <laughs> sleep deprivation, and... Uh, Mathematical equations. So, and interesting things breaking when it's negative forty below Fahrenheit outside. Negative forty below is an absolutely scary number. Yeah, it, it is. You know, uh, we that grew was up standing in, temperature too. We grew up in the Midwest, and we both experienced twenty, twenty-five below zero ambient temperature, um, and much colder <laughs> with wind chill. Um, but I mean, forty-four below zero, which was, I believe, the coldest temperature that was recorded while we were up in the uh, Northwest Territories. Uh, I mean, 44 Below is, you know, cars do weird things. The People human body do weird, do weird, things. weird things. But, you know, like growing up, my father used to say, when you're in temperatures like that, you have to be prepared. Like, you may have to walk out of it. Yeah. And something that's, happens. that's something that Mercedes and I put a lot of t- time into, getting the right clothing, getting the getting the, 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 vehicle, the vehicle, right? you know, up to par, Getting us um, mentally prepared. I mean, it's a huge mental game, too. Yeah, Not only is it pounding pavement and dirt and ice and snow and rivers mm-hmm. that are ice, but um, it's a lot, of, a lot of a mental game, too, and stam- stamina. Yeah, so the the extremely long response to what is the Alcan 5000 is, is a, <laughs> it's a, it was a 10-day, 5,120-mile road trip with time, speed, distance aspects to it. Uh, there were 40, 40 teams... Um, about 40, yeah. About 40 teams and uh, from all over the U.S., all kinds of vehicles. Yeah. Um, what kind of vehicles are generally in this this rally? Is it something that it's a full rally car? Is it something that it's street cars? Uh, what, what's the modification level as a general rule? Not specifically your vehicle, but what's kind of the accepted norm? That's a great question. Um, you know, we've had anything from a pretty much bone stock, uh, you know, Golf or a Rabbit, a Volkswagen Rabbit, to um, you know, all-wheel drive vehicles, you know, Super Foresters, uh, you know, trucks that are uh, four-wheel drive. We've had a couple of you know, four by four SUVs, Mercedes, uh, sedan. You know, you've got a whole mixed bag of stuff. So. But you also had things like 
uh, you know, lifted Toyota FJ Cruiser. Right. You totally had, built out. Um, you know, uh, the winning car was a 73, I believe it was, 73 Mercury Capri Rally car, two-wheel drive, that rear-wheel drive. just built up. Yeah, it was just built up. Yeah, and they had done it in a 66 Ford Cortina before and won it. So, I mean, you you truly had, you had front-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, four-wheel drive, all-wheel all drive, drive, cars, yeah. sedans. SUVs, you know, SUVs trucks. Uh, it's truly kind of run what you what run what you brung you there were some vehicles that were completely <clears throat> stock there were you know mercedes um all-wheel drive uh formatic sedan i don't remember what the what car was uh, all-wheel drive that, what tires they had i think that they just had winter, winter tires. tires and that's it you know, all-wheel drive passats um but th- there were there are some requirements so like you have to have if you have a car you have to have winter dedicated winter tires if you've yeah, got three a, peak rated ones at that. If you've got a truck, it, they have to have three peak rated tires if they're not snow tires. So um, we ran um, studded Nitto Exo Grapplers, so an all terrain with studs and that three peak three peak rating. So it's a little all over the place. They sort of discourage super highly <laughs> modified vehicles because of the reliability aspect. That being said, that didn't stop a, a duo. One one gentleman was from Pennsylvania. One was from New Jersey, New York. Excuse me. Uh, and before they even started this crazy Arctic rally of five thousand one hundred twenty miles, they drove a super modified Jeep Wrangler uh, Unlimited rock crawler kind of thing. They drove it from New York to Seattle to right. start the rally, and then sold it up there after they were done. That's crazy. Wow. Uh, um, is is there classing or is everybody kind of run in the same catch-all class? No, that's a good question. There are different classes. Um, so it depends on the TSD rally portion of it. Um, if you have fancy rally computers that are, you know, to like the thousandth and will get you there exactly on time, exactly with the same speed, you know, those are typically unlimited classes. Then the next tier down is equipped classes. They could be in different classifications within their own. So depending on the type of vehicle, maybe it's a four by four equipped or, um, you know, different classes within there. Um, Then there is the uh, SOP class or the seat of the pants, which is all kind of the the stock auto, the stock equipment that you'd have in your vehicle. And there's historical class, which also basically runs with the um, whatever you have in your vehicle. But historical class is where we ended up with is, um, you know, much older vehicles, again, historical information, uh, you know, like your Odo and what you have with your speedometer. Again, you know, we had a very unique vehicle. So we had a right-hand drive Japanese domestic market Mitsubishi uh, Pajero, it's a 1991. So we were originally running SOP class uh, or City of the Pants and they asked us to run a historical class. Um, and that was to a very special dedication actually. It's a tribute, tribute to uh, the racer Rod Hall who uh, he passed away in 2019. But so you may be like, okay, Rod Hall, Baja racer, Dakar racer. Winner of just about everything. Yeah. So why would they ask us to do that? And the reason for that was because um, I'm going to put my Mitsubishi geek hat on here for a second. In 1986, uh, Rod Hall ran the Alcan 5000 Summer Rally in a Dodge Raider. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, for anybody that knows, Dodge Raider, same thing as a first-generation Mitsubishi Montero, Mitsubishi Pajero. Um, I believe he ran, I think it was a V6 model, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I'm not sure what model. But um, 
so he ran it in that. And so with his passing, they asked us, and the fact that we were running a, a Mitsubishi Pajero, they asked us to run a, as a tribute to him. And since we had a sister vehicle, um, even though we were just out of the, the, I think the technical year of what when they said the historical class could be, they asked to move us into that because of that tribute. So, um, so we went from SOP to historic class. There were two different people. There was an old, uh, what, 19? I think it was an 88 BMW 325XI. Yep. So the all-wheel drive 3 Series sedan and us. So yeah. um, I'm Which happy to cool. report that we got second place. <laughs> Second place, and we were, we were two people in the class, but um, you know the other guys. Uh, hats off to them; they ran an awesome rally. Um, they were seasoned rallyers. They've done this a bunch of times. Well, I don't know about this specific rally, but they've done a bunch of TSD uh, rallies, and uh, it's a, a very well-known uh, rally vehicle that they had just purchased as well. So, um, so yeah, different people, different amount of people in each class, and uh, yeah, it was pretty cool. So Rod Hall Racing <clears throat> right now, which is the team run by his family. Yes. Um, is still currently running racing vehicles. Um, and it's actually kind of funny because I just did a road trip last weekend, a weekend before, um, to Reno, Nevada, back to Phoenix. And uh, we were passed, we passed on the highway, the Ron Hall Racing Enterprise teams. So kind of a nice. funny look. Actually, yeah, they're, they're, right now they're running Chevy Silverados. Mm-hmm. Um, Very cool. That, that's awesome. Um, yeah, you know, unfortunately, Andy and I, we didn't have a chance to ever meet Rod. Um, we would have loved to. Um, I have a couple of uh, good friends of mine that um, Sue Mead and also Emily Miller that were both uh, taught by him and mentored by him uh, to become extremely uh, very knowledgeable uh, off-road racers themselves and have really gone on to do really awesome things. Um, but I did have a chance to meet Rod Sorensen. He was competing in one of the Jeep Wranglers up there uh, during the Alcan 5000. And he had just given me a couple of hard copy old photographs of Rod Hall uh, in doing the Alcan. And I honestly, I haven't even had a chance to open up the folder yet, but I'm so excited to take a look at those. And he just said, um, you know, that that hopefully they'd be the good use for future publication for this story. That's really cool. I can't wait to see those. I, I love seeing I love seeing the Raiders and Monteros in like period correct competition. That's really neat. Yes. Yeah, and the, his vehicle we've seen. So there is a YouTube channel somebody started an Alcan 5000 YouTube channel that has all kinds of historical like VHS stuff. Yeah, it's pretty that cool. That has been transferred to YouTube. And there is uh, a photo or there is a little bit of footage from uh, 1986 that shows that period correct ra- uh, Raider. And it's, I think it's like kind it's of a like brown. Oh, is it was bright red. Oh, I thought it was a brown orange color. I'm oh. not sure. <laughs> but um, it might, maybe it's red. I don't know. But it it's had older that, video, so it had that totally like 80s graphics all over it that said Raider and it was it was pretty awesome. So that's awesome. So I've I have a question about uh the instructions. Were they straight tulips the entire time? Was there any different sections like they made you use a compass or made you use a map or something? Um you know for this because it is the Arctic you could get a blizzard within like 2 seconds of warning it could be negative 40 70 below you know wind chill they didn't want people to die um truth be told so there weren't any actual like you know directional arrows and things like that what they did is they had the overall mileage they had the section mileage um, so that basically said if you wanted to start um, your TSD at 0.00, then at 2.87, turn left onto such and such road. Here's your, your dedicated speed per each direction. But there weren't any 
um, you know, uh, challenges or there weren't any like, um, we're trying to trick you here or it, there. It wasn't like a full on, it didn't have the full tulip and, right. and, and that stuff like maybe a traditional rally would or even some of the, you know, time speed distance rallies we've run. It's, it was much more straightforward. There were no, there were no tricks or gimmicks in this one. They wanted everybody to get there. Um, well, and, and every day ended up, I, I logged how many miles we drove each day. Um, how many hours of sleep we got when we got in at night because we were first, well, probably one of the last to leave um, and, you know, some of the last to get in. So I took a lot of the statistics, wrote them all down. And, um, you know, yeah, they, they, they wanted to make sure since we all had 13 to about 16 hours of drive day every single solitary day, day in and day out, that they want to make sure people are safe. So safety first. Do they... Um I know recently a couple uh, TSDs locally here, they've been using um, like rally trackers. Uh, so the same right. GPS uh, units they use in the Rally America, not the, it's not Rally America anymore, but the uh, current rally series, they use the GPS trackers. I don't know if they're using any, any of that type of stuff or. So they had, um, so everybody, so this brings up a good point. Um, so we all had to go through tech inspection. Let me back up just a bit, um, go through tech inspection. So we had to have certain safety measures involved. So whether it be road triangles and road flares, a, a big medical kit, um, you know, an ABC fire extinguisher, all sorts of those types of things. With that, they, they had everybody have a dedicated in-reach or spot device. And how they tracked all of us uh, was through SpotWalla. So I'm not sure if that's the same type of technology you're talking about. I think um, similar, I think. Well, so there is a rally app um, that our uh, Cascade Sports Car Club, which is our local um, group here. Yeah, the Richter one, but that's not used to track people where they are. Are you guys talking about where people are while they're rallying? Yeah, yeah. They have, okay. um, yeah, so they we can do live tracking, yeah. Yeah, right. so, so we like did. Yeah, is. so we used um, our. Uh, everybody had to have an in reach right. or a um, a spot. Actually, they 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 basically said at this one, this is the last time they're going to use spots. But they said uh, oh, uh, everybody needed to have an in reach or something like that, and so they could be tracked live. Uh, uh, and that's that's not only so you can share it out to your friends and stuff, but that's for the sweeps team to make sure that they. They can see where everybody is. Um, in addition to that, I thought maybe you were talking about some of the GPS rally tracking um, for scoring. Our, our yeah. local, our local um, club, the Cascade Sports Car Club, has started using this. It's called Richta, and uh, instead of having people out at uh, specific controls uh, with the stopwatchers or whatnot, they have. Uh, I'm not really sure how they do it, but they have locations where you just drive through, and the control. It just makes a it's makes automatic. an it makes a Bing. beep beep kind of thing <laughs> on your on your phone to let you know that you've gone through the control. Yeah. So they they were testing that up there, but they we didn't implement it. Right. So when I just did the winter challenge rally, they still have checkpoints, but several of the checkpoints, so they don't have to have as many checkpoint teams, were now GPS checkpoints. So you right. hit like a little geofence, and then it logs your location. And that's how they did some of the scoring. So on scoring for the Alcan, are they, is there actual checkpoints or are you running it with, you know, is there legs to the TSD or are I, you just. So on, on Alcan, you basically, um, there were, there were um, controls, but there weren't multiple legs. Well, actually that's not true. We never did more than two, two TSDs a day just because of the, 
massive amount of miles we had to do every day. Our, our shortest day was 425 miles. Our longest day was over 750. So uh, you would generally wake up, have breakfast, if you're lucky, and then um, do your TSD, your morning TSD. You then may have a 500-mile transit to the next town, and there would be a TSD there, and then you could go to the hotel or whatever. So um, so the maximum was two, technically was two legs. Okay. Not and including the transit. So, you know, obviously uh, people are going for zeros. Yep. Correct? And, um, you know, what kind of scores are you guys getting? Nine thousands. <laughs> no. <laughs> we... Our, so our biggest goal, since we're fairly new at doing TSDs, right, and, and we haven't killed each other yet, and we're still married, which everybody says, oh, my God, husband and wife, you're going to do this together. Wow. Um, and we actually, I feel like we've gotten away with um, Alcant closer than where we started it. But um, that being set aside is I think with with doing the TSDs, um, just, you know, making sure, okay, you go ahead, you get them done. You know, you stay on route. Everybody says you got to stay on route first and then worry about the time uh, aspect <laughs> of it and, can, you know, getting in on time. And so yeah, the short answer is we got 200s a lot, well, which no, is the maximum score. <laughs> well, our, our biggest goal, what I was trying to say, and it's kind of long winded answer. But what I was trying to say is our goal was to finish the Alcam because we knew we had a rare oddball vehicle. We brought a huge box of parts um, that we housed in our, our Rome, um, Rome Adventure boxes that we had ratcheted down, but we knew we wanted to finish. We wanted to finish strong. We wanted to do all the TSDs in order en route, and we wanted to be rubber side down, as our friend JR says, um, with our buddy car. So we accomplished all of that and then some. So we still have a lot to learn in regards to the time aspect of it to make sure we can, you know, do the timing so that, you know, catch ourselves in the interim time, calculate all that stuff to keep us en route during each of the controls before you finish finish each TSD, that's all experience. That's all a lot of it's learning and practice. I, I will I will say this. We did not get last place. So that's good. Um, we were actually like fifth from last. Even if even if we I think did. we got thirty first out of thirty six cars. Thirty first out of thirty six, um, but we, we placed higher than I expected during the ice races. I'd like to toot my own horn a little yeah, on yeah. in a in a one hundred horsepower turbo diesel. Well, and anyway. I, I think we we ended up getting a few different awards, which I'm super proud of, and I hope Andy you are too. No, not at all. <laughs> so one of them was the finisher award because heck, like I said, rubber side down and in one piece, we finished the Galdang thing under our own power. The second one was the Arctic Award, and the Arctic Award is doing all the TSDs in order, en route, not missing any controls. That's a big thing because not all the teams did that. Um, and then also, uh, we just found out that we got a Go Farther Award. And what that is, is there are a couple of optional days where you could do what are called extreme controls. They weren't TSDs. They were just, um, they were different type of, uh, of you know, extended routes to say, okay, so you're in Inuvik now. Um, you know, go all the way up to Tuktoyaktuk in the Arctic Ocean. Here's another one. Either you could spend the day off. There was a day off, believe it or not. Go to the chain of hot springs in, in As uh, Alaska. Or you could be like us crazy, you know what, people, and go to uh, Coldfoot in Alaska, which literally is, what, 500 miles, 600 miles? Yeah, they should. For a fueling station and come back home. They should have just called it the, hey, what's another 5,000? They should have said, what's, they should have called it, hey, what's, what's another, another 500, 500 miles, miles a day award? So, But since we did all of those crazy extra trips, we were able to complete all of those things 
And, um, you know, especially it was a big day for us on day five to go to Inuvik because we fulfilled our promise and our duty to try to replicate Rod Hall's uh, run. He was one of five teams to do Inuvik in the summer of 86, and we were able to complete it this year. So we're stoked. I'm, I'm stoked. I can't believe that we we did all the extreme, extreme controls, including the ice races. Yeah, we did, or not ice races, uh, ice roads, um, about 170 some miles up to Aklavik and back uh, on the river, which was really insane. Your GPS shows you were literally driving the river. Yeah, uh, we had, which we were. We had, our, we had our friends, we had two different buddy cars. So we had our, our good friends, um, JR and Judy Russell. They're part of a team anyway, and they had a two-door uh, JK, uh, Jeep JK. And so she radioed back to us because we all have radio communications. And uh, in case something happens, she says, you'll never believe this. She says, the route is actually on my GPS. And I said, what in your navigation? And she said, yeah, it says winter road to Aklavik, <laughs> which was nuts. So given what you're saying about, um, actually about that, was that the same ice road that's been made famous by the Discovery Channel show? You know, I'm not sure if it's I'm not it sure if it's the it. same one or not. I, um, I think there's lots of truth, ice roads up there. Truth be told, I've right. I've only seen a couple of episodes of ice road truckers, so I'm not really sure what road they're driving. But um, it's it's weird. So you're in you're in Inuvik, which is a population of like 3,200 people, and uh, you Party basically people. you just drive down towards the river, and the river is a highway. It's as wide as I would say. Well, you know, like we drove. It's as wide as any interstate, you know. I mean, I would say it's at least four lanes wide, and you know, it's all ice, and they groom it. So they have, um, they have like a, a grater, and the grater blade has teeth on it, and it adds a bit of a, 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 a tooth to it. And so, uh, the speed limit on the on the river. This sounds strange to say, but the the, the speed limit on the river is ninety kilometers an hour, and what is it like fifty or fifty two? Something like that. And so, um, and then you come to a corner and they, they've put a big, you know, arrow on in the snowbank. They have road signs on the river. Yeah, they have road signs. <laughs> road signs are pretty crazy And, you know, we, we, we got going, you know, faster than that. And, you know, our, our Pajero really isn't that fast. Yeah, I was going to say, we can't we run were in, fast. We were in four high, four wheel high on the ice road. And, but we'd get passed by some local in a Dodge truck doing like, at least like 120 kilometers an hour, you know, like 70, like with nothing, like no big deal, just driving to work kind of thing. So um, it, it, that, that was, but that's one of those experiences that the Alcan provides, the Alcan Winter Rally provides that lots of people will never get the opportunity to have. It's It was really, really special to be able to, to do something like that. With our buddy cars, so we had Team 38, um, which was, or Car 38, which is Team Anyway. We also had Team 40, which was uh, Garrett and Kristen uh, aren't from Colorado. They had a Lexus GX470. So the three of us, we all kind of agreed, okay, since we're buddy cars, let's figure things out collectively throughout the whole Alcan 5000. We all said, okay, let's do about mm, 15, 20 miles. We don't have to go the whole way. None of us radioed each other. We just went, you know, we went the whole entire way. <laughs> 120 miles later. It was too cool to be able to not do it. It just, you know, we had another long, long day and everybody else came back pink and fuzzy and warm and happy and, and all of that uh, from China Hot Springs. Um, but yeah, no, us lunatics went out there and did cold foot and, or in the ice roads mm. and all that crazy stuff. That, that was a different day. But but the, the, whole, the whole thing is, is like, 
you know, while you're up there, we wanted to take advantage of of some of that stuff. I mean, well, let's do all of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there basically you had some you had optional days, right? So uh, one of the optional days when when you got to Inuvik, the option was to you could do this extreme control all the way up to Taktiaka, which we did. The second optional day was Fairbanks, Alaska. So the smart people went to Chena Hot Springs to get all warm and pink and all that stuff. Uh, the rest of us idiots went up to Coldfoot, which is a glorified fuel depot. Which, thank God, they had the only one of, what, four or five actual um, fuel pumping uh, station areas. Like, one of the pumps worked. Yeah. And they and had so both it gas was, and diesel. It was you know, driving the Dalton Highway anyway. Um the the joke, however, became uh, somebody one of our one of our Alcan five thousand people slipped and fell at the hot springs and broke his ankle. Yeah, he had surgery today. And the joke was, well, it was much well, safer a, to drive to Coldfoot than to be at the hot springs. Well, it's not a good joke, but it's not a joke. But I mean, I really do like hot springs, though. <laughs> no, and, <laughs> a tough no, choice for me. And we should have as well. Actually, and I just, honestly. If we do the winter rally again, and that's an option, I would do the hot springs. Oh, yeah, because yeah. Coldfoot. <laughs> love, love anybody that lives in Coldfoot. I both people that live in Coldfoot, but uh, it, yeah, it's, uh, the semi truck drivers weren't really happy that a couple of us ra- rallyers were not, around. There's not much to see. Yeah, it's just it's you know it's a huge. Um, you it's know, a fuel depot. Yeah, it's a fuel depot for all the truckers. So. So speaking of experience, you talk about how you guys don't have a lot of experience, and you competed in an event that Rod Hall competed in. What is the requirement of experience before participating in this? Or is there a level of experience they want you to have before you're like, all right, we're turned loose on our 5,000 mile winter rally or summer rally, whenever you choose to do it. Well, the first requirement is that you're a, uh, an air breathing mammal. And you can, and you can pony up the money for the entrance fee. Check, yeah. <laughs> double check is the entrance fee. And he had a vehicle that actually could maybe potentially drive it. Yeah. And to be, to, to get a little more serious on that aspect, like there, you do have to have a vehicle that is capable uh, capable of making the journey, right? Well, they're going to make sure, tech inspection. yeah, they're going to make sure that, like, yeah, you, your vehicle has all the safety features, all your stuff gets strapped down, you've got cold weather gear, you know. I mean, you can't show up, to, you can't show up in a in a you know in a well, you could show up in a Miata hardtop with snow tires, but or a soft top <laughs> with snow tires, but. Like you've got, you've got to be serious about it, right? Because they they want obviously safety is the most important aspect of it. But but there aren't there isn't a, a requirement in terms of ex- previous experience or anything like yeah, there that. Are people, some people that did it the first time with yeah. that rally. There were some people who had never done a TSD that made Alcan five thousand their first TSD. And I think we did what, three TSDs, and yeah, I think you know we've done the longest well. one we had was what two days that went up to the Canada border and back from from out in the Dalles, Oregon, which is a uh, border of you know Washington, Oregon. Yeah, so. so running the entire like the border of yeah. Washington. I mean, the other two that we did were like what three hour long. So yeah. you know the, the the variety is like completely you know different. So complete rookies on to people that have won it multiple times that have been rallying for many, many, many years. Yeah, but this is so, not like, this is not an invite only right. thing. Oh yeah, like, anybody can do you, it. You can enter it, you pay your entry fee and you're put on you're Ooh. put on the list. And you know, this year they had more people want to do it than they were allowed to accommodate or they were able to yeah, accommodate. Yeah, we were on the wait 40, list for a while. They, they, 
40 people was the maximum of people that they were going to, uh, to the do. The teams. Yeah, 40 teams. Yeah. And so we actually had been put on a waiting list and, and uh, made the cut, you know, not too far afterwards. I, To, to be honest, we started preparing for it. Like, Before? Just figuring, like, <laughs> hopefully we get on, you know. And, I mean, hey, uh, rebuilding – it's kind of started by rebuilding the front end of our Pajero. I'm like, oh, why, you know, why not? We'll just, we'll just assume we'll just we're going to thing. make it. And if we don't, then I have a brand new front end on the Pajero. Yeah, Pajero. One, one little tiny thing started, and then other things broke, and then other things happened, and then before you knew it, Andy, Andy and I had everything pulled apart in the front end, and you know, and then we thought, well, okay, we might as well do this, and let's do this, and prepare yeah. for this, and, and start planning. And it started as like, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm just gonna replace the. Um, I'm going to replace the the brake pads and I'm going to replace the, uh, what was it? It was like one other minor little thing. It wasn't like CV, no. no. it wasn't even the, the CV. Uh, bushing or bearing. Oh, yeah. It? It was the, I was going to do the tie rods and end links. And then I noticed the CV boot had ripped. And then I did literally every bearing, bushing, and and, and seal in the entire front Well, end that's of kind it. of another episode, though, because that, that's, yeah, that's like a, a whole discussion about, you know, that plus lug nuts is a whole nother podcast in our uh, our opinion. So then talking briefly about the truck without getting into the whole podcast worth of, of stuff. Um, I know you made a couple of modifications to the truck. I know you, you made an auxiliary tank and some seat changes. Was there anything beyond, uh, beyond that? Or can you want to touch quickly on those things you changed? Yeah. Um, there were actually several different things that we did. Um, you know, obviously safety is first. And even though that we're from the Midwest and we're used to very cold temperatures, uh, in the Midwest during the winter time, we knew this was going to be very severe. So um, we did a lot of research. We planned a lot. We talked to a lot of people that have A, done this rally, B, have got vehicles or know a lot of people that have severe duty vehicles in, in Arctic type temperatures. Um, you know, one of the things we wanted to do was have long range for our fuel, for our diesel. Um, so we decided to partner up with uh, Long Range America and got a long range automotive um, auxiliary diesel tank from Australia. And that gained us in what extra thirteen point six, I think, gallons of fuel, um, because you needed to have a certain. I think pretty the, much doubled our range. Yeah, I was going to say I think you needed to have at least two hundred fifty to three hundred miles per range was required, plus jerry cans. So we were able to not have jerry cans. We had all of our stuff built in. Um, the other thing too is starting capacity, right? I mean, we know we're old. We know that we had an old diesel, right? And so um, you know, making sure that the fuel didn't gel up was a huge thing. So. In addition to a little uh, oil pan heater that Andy had installed, we um, worked with the fine folks at Earth Cruiser out of Bend, Oregon, to install what is called a Wabasto Thermotop Evo coolant heater. And that basically cycled through and kept the engine warm and brought up the temperature. And then along with our Optima battery red tops, um, we had about 800 or so um, cold cranking amps. We're able to fire it up. We had two of them. Right. We had two of them. Yeah, it was a dual battery system. Um, we were able to program the Wobasto heater to kick on about an hour, an hour and a half beforehand, warm up the engine with or without a plug-in, mind you, and be able to start it every single solitary day. Um, so you know, that and then, of course, fully self-contained heating unit you didn't need to plug into a building somewhere. It would run off the battery. Yeah. Right. That's, correct. that's true. And so pro tip for anybody listening if you decide you want to do the Alcan 5000 Winter Rally, try to get a higher number. And the reason, <laughs> well, and the reason, sign up right away. Sign up right away. There's, yeah, <laughs> because next week is summer 2022. <laughs> sign up right away. So next week, we're we're laughing because my lucky number is 39, and we got 
number 39 for our rally number. Well, the joke is there's only 40. 40 cars 40 that took off. Oh. But so, so we were last whole, out and or last out and last in. Right. So we were last out, last in, which means when we would arrive in places like Whitehorse and Anuvik and Fairbanks, where the high temperatures often never got above zero. And everybody was two cocktails in. Yeah. Um, or say, got dinner when we didn't. Yeah, when dinner. we didn't get dinner because um, restaurants were closed. If if you're a high number, you you're gonna show up later, and most of the time you, you don't, don't get in. any plug-in. So if yeah. you even if you've like, well, I've got a block heater in my whatever car I'm driving. Well, if you're if you're a high a low number, you're not gonna get the plug-in. You know, and I think with the plug-in set aside, we did the oil pan heater as just another you know option, knowing that the Wobasto and the Optima batteries was gonna be the primary. And most nights we we weren't able to get a plug-in outlet. You know, everything was taken. And so we had no choice, um, you know, but we were really lucky that the, the vehicle fired up, you know, and of course we had so much place and so much emphasis on the vehicle. We, we you know, thought, oh, well, wait, heck, we're gonna have to keep ourselves warm too. So we ended up um, getting a Shieldman USA or Shieldman seats. Um, they're the Vario F model, they're a heated seat. And uh, they're a German company actually, and Shieldman USA is the uh, distributor, Toby Pond. And we had those installed. We made custom or had custom brackets, uh, seat brackets made in Seattle to be able to retrofit those for our vehicle. Man, I can tell you that was a lifesaver for us to be able to have those puppies. Just pop them on whenever you needed just a little jolt of warmth and then they retain their heat so not, so nicely and well, we were and able not, to shut that off. And not only that, it's an orthopedic seat. So right. we, would, we would do 750 miles and you get out and you're like, okay, let's not unload. an ache or a pain. Like, <laughs> You know, to be honest, like I, I'll do my thirty-mile commute, and like, oh, I'll get out and like, yeah, man, my lower back sucks today. You know, I think but, I need to talk to Toby to find out if Shieldman can actually make a couch for the house. Yeah, because no I, I've got lower. <laughs> honestly, seriously, it's you never would have thought about it, and I'm so and and not to you know to tout any specific company directly, but um, for me, I've got lower back pain quite a bit, and for me to be able to do such extensive off-road driving on snow and ice and bumpy and frost heaves and all sorts of craziness and get out with a 16-hour day and go, okay, let's unload. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's go, you know, let's hopefully get dinner and this and this and not even try to go, oh my God, my back is crazy. It's that to me, it's just the stuff that we researched, the stuff that we bought, the stuff that we, you know, we did for the vehicle, for ourselves, you know, 99% of everything, all of it, all that research was done successfully and it all worked, which was awesome. This was a vastly different experience than uh, our winter challenge in the Raider, (laughs) (laughs) which was uh, a couple years ago. uh, Yeah, Valentine's Day weekend. It was like negative 14 in Vermont. Yeah, it's cold. And that truck doesn't really have very good heat and it had holes in the body. Oh, so it was fine it was fine fine. i was dressed like i was skiing and it felt like you bring on a chairlift the amount of air was coming in no (laughs) he's exaggerating it was my daily driven vehicle it was fine but we did the it was the vermont um winter challenge rally which is a much short a much shorter version of the alcan 5000 i'd say um but it's very similar thing and we did it in a very similar vehicle because it's a first gen you know raider which is a pajero or montero Wow. Um, and our experience was definitely not as comfortable as, as yours was. So I, I will say that I was um, 
Well, you bought the right, right clothes. No, well, not only not we we both did look like we were about to <laughs> go to. I look like the Michelin Man. We we well okay. <laughs> um, we did look like we were about to hit the slopes of Killington, Vermont, but um, uh, I also I'm fairly certain I sweat through all six layers of clothing that I may have been wearing. Um, the Pajero, our, our Pajero, the heater was way better than I thought it was. I thought it was like, okay. Oh, so turbo what, was too. So like, well, okay. But like, so <laughs> anybody that for, well, okay. I'm probably the only person listening that has a, a Gen 2 Pajero with the turbo diesel. We have two. Listening. Come on. Hey, hey. I know. Well, we own both of them. <laughs> but anyway, I, I, the center, the center vents, they don't put out heat. It, they just don't. I don't know if something has become disconnected. It's par- apparently a fairly common thing on Gen 2 Montero and Pajero. Yeah. Mine doesn't put out, like, it just blows cold air. Yeah, and you're like, yep. it's you're like, what degrees. lever can I flip? Yes. And you, you flipped every combination of levers and it still blows cold air. You're like, I don't understand this. I, I kind of want to gorilla tape ours shut because no matter what we do, even if we try to shut them off, um, they don't work very well and they don't want to twist and they still blow out cold whenever, even if it's shut off. And I don't know why. I, I'm, there must be some something that's a baffle or I don't know. Where Whatever. But anyway, <laughs> um, regardless, like I was a sweaty mess during most of the Alcan 5000, which was totally fine by me. Well, and what's funny is, is you know, we have a lot of warm rated clothing, right? I mean, we're both in the Midwest. I mean, a lot of stuff we don't necessarily have from back there anymore, but we're really lucky that in the Pacific Northwest near Portland, where we live, there's a couple of really good companies based out of here. So, you know, uh, along with Nike and Adidas, obviously we didn't really um, use them, but with Nike and Adidas is based out here, Under Armour. I got their cold gear uh, base layers from Under Armour that I bought. Um, Columbia Sportswear and Mountain Hardware and um, Sorrel and stuff like that, that's all based out of here. So, you know, thankfully we were able to go to the employee store and, and buy our little hearts out. And and yes, I said Michelin man or woman, I guess, <clears throat> woman. I bought a pair of down Ghost Whisperer Mountain Hardware pants. Yes, they were bright black, like metallic-y kind of weird looking pants. Yes, I looked really weird because they were lined and they were horizontal just like a normal puffy jacket is with down. I will totally vouch for anybody else to ever buy those suckers because they're worth their money and they're worth their weight in gold. They're really light, actually. but They're really, um, really sexy. They're really crazy looking, but in between, I had my base layer on, I had those shush. And then I had my Gore-Tex winter ski pants that I bought. And I mean, seriously, I, I feel still weird to this day wearing one layer of pants right now. We've been back for a week, but I, I just, I never was cold. And same with the top layers. I think I had four top layers on and I wasn't cold. Full disclosure, like we are not sponsored by any of those companies. No, not at all. But they worked but really, really it well. It just, you know, we had to invest in certain things. And and yeah, I mean, it's, it's I don't want to say it's either, com- you know, being comfortable or death, but it kind of was like, hell, we're going to the Arctic. Uh, we need to kind of prepare a little bit more than what we have. Well, I mean, it kind, of, it kind of goes back to that idea that like, listen, it's the high was like... 22 below zero at some days or 20 below zero yeah like you've you've got to be serious about what you're wearing you know and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if you look like the michelin woman or whatever you know well and there are a lot of people wearing like but there's like carhartts and flannel and wool and fur hats and stuff like that and and you know with at that type of temperature like like you know andy had said with his dad you got to be prepared that you got to walk out of it because I don't care if you've got a brand new Mercedes or if you've got a brand new GMC, you know, Denali truck, Sierra Denali trucker or whatnot. 
you, you know, if you get stuck or something happens and if sweeps can't find you, sweeps being like recovery vehicles on the Alcan, they had a couple of them for medical or, you know, uh, vehicle issues, things like vehicle that. They recovery. were awesome. Vehicle recovery. Um, if nobody can find you and if God forbid you had to be out there overnight on your own or for two or three days, you had to have the provisions, whether they're medical kit, um, food, water, we had to bring extra water, warmth, all that stuff was there. Um, so we over-invested, we over-planned, we over-prepared, but to us, that's that was success. And, and it worked. Well, at what price safety at that point? It's more, yeah. more important oh, to yeah. come home with an empty wallet than it is to not come home. So Oh, yeah. yeah. It's like you need to spend how many thousands of dollars preparing and time and install and sweat and, you know, yeah. tears and all that stuff and maybe a little bit of blood there, you know, with uh, knocking no. your you know, we, knuckles. We, we had no blood. I, I did send it in a snowbank once, but uh, well, uh, we but kissed no, another snowbank. Yeah, but no. Uh, in front of a semi. You know, nobody's, <clears throat> nobody was hurt, you know, or anything like that. And yeah. that's the important. Yeah, I mean, you just you have to be very quick and, and reactionary in regards to changing road conditions, and you know if there's something that happens, or I mean, we saw heck, we saw seven moose on the on the whole entire uh, trek. They're they're taller than any vehicle I've ever seen, and and thankfully none of them were in the middle of the road. But the the fine folks that we knew that were from the East Coast that drove their yellow, um, their unlimited out there. Um, they had one right in the middle of the road, and I think that was the day that was by Pink Mountain where it was the blizzard. Yeah, we had a, like a so, total whiteout. So. But I mean, you got to be prepared because if you hit something or if you slide off and nobody can find you or that kind of thing, I mean, it's a realization. But for us, it was so much more safe than people going up on their own, doing this type of a trip on their own with no support. And I would do it again in a heartbeat. So it's highly recommended then. Well, if you're a fringe lunatic that loves Arctic conditions, yes. (laughs) But honestly, in all honesty, I would. Um, yep. And I think that the summer 22 um, starts, uh, what is it? The um, Let's see, we were able to sign up early, but I think that's what, March 25th, I think, is snow when you can there. sign up for it. No snow on that one, likely. Well, not much snow. Less snow and warmer temperatures. Yes, more but bugs, mosquitoes, mosquitoes. More bugs. We've heard lots of mosquitoes. Yeah, I can imagine. Being a uh, being from the Northeast is probably very similar to the to the Northwest and the, uh, the wet springtime weather. Right, yeah. Well, it's all like swampy and boggy when it's not frozen. So, yeah. Um, how many times? I I feel like I saw on social media you you drove through the Arctic Circle a couple of times, right? How many times was that? <laughs> Actually, four times. It was planned because that was the extra trip. We did four Arctic Circle crossings within three days in two countries. In two countries. Yep. I don't know of how many people, other people that I know, other than a couple of crazy other um, uh, Arctic, uh, or I'm sorry, Alcan 5,000 people that decided to do all the other extreme controls can actually say that. So, yeah, that's a bucket list, an unexpected one. We're sort of special that way. (laughs) Special. (laughs) Oh, here's a good question. So at this time of year or the time of year that you did it, how short was the daylight? Like, Ooh, that's a great question. You know, it, it... it's funny because we expected it to be get dark really early and all that stuff. We were Mercedes and I, <laughs> because of our propensity for lovely warm places, went to Iceland in July, um, oh. and that was that was honestly about twenty hours of daylight. So we thought, well, we're going to be farther north than we were in Iceland, and we thought it would be that way. And actually, it was. You know, it the the sun was low on the horizon a lot, but you it did get 
pitch black and full sun. So it, it really was fairly normal, you know. I mean, it would get start getting dark around five five p.m. and it was light, you know, in about seven seven in the morning. So it wasn't anything totally weird. And I think the coolest the coolest thing for us or for me, of course, I don't want to talk for Andy again, but um, was the Arctic sunrises. You know, I mean, I, I tried to gauge when the sun was actually peaking up. If it wasn't flat sky, because a lot of times it was just, you know, overcast and you couldn't see anything. And, and the roads were really flat, which was interesting to drive on. But we had the opportunity to see a couple of Arctic sunrises. And I don't even know, I think it was like 9 o'clock, 9.30 or something like that, when the sun just started peaking out and the horizon was so low and we we're not too far away from Tuk the Um, And it was the most enchanting pastels I think I've ever seen it just with a white ground and everything so flat it was it was quite beautiful enchanting pastels were exactly what I was going to say <laughs> you're a guy come on no the the uh, that, that crazy like Chevy Silverado on tracks and in, in Eagle Plains was probably amazing too so enchanting pastels in, it was enchant the Silverado was, was enchanting enchanting at least okay so wild oh I think you you um you, uh, Andy, did you do a, a special shot? I feel like I saw. Oh, wait, 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 well, no. wait, wait, oh, wait. Boy. It was both of us. Don't no, just think really? It was both of us. Okay, careful, careful. All right. Anyway, so we both. <laughs> gotta have yeah. the notoriety. Okay, anybody that's listening, if you ever go to Dawson City, you've got to go to the Downtowner Hotel Bar. This is where they do the Sour Toe Cocktail. The sourdough cocktail is pretty much a rite of passage for anybody in the Yukon. Like, if you go through Dawson City, you have to. I don't. It, it, it's a. It is quite literally a mummified human toe that they put in the bottle uh, in the bottom of a shot glass filled with a high proof alcohol. In our case, it was Yukon, Yukon Jack. Gold. Yeah, Yukon, Yukon Jack. Yep. Yukon Gold or potatoes. Oh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> there was no gold. Yukon potatoes. In <laughs> Yukon this. Jack. But anyway. Yes. And then they, they kind of do this little ritual thing. Uh, you get a certificate. You get your name logged in a guest book. Uh, you cannot, this may sound really, really gross, but of course you can't eat it or swallow it. If you accidentally swallow it, not to be totally gross, it's a $2,500 fine. And people yeah. have done it, apparently. There's multiple also, tools, by the way. It's also like borderline cannibalism at that point. Uh, yeah. no, technically, it, it is it, cannibalism. It you were eating a human body part. Right. So. Um, so they made that very well known. There's signs posted for it. Um, but you cannot, this is really gross. You cannot, I can't believe I'm saying this on radio or on podcast, suck it. You cannot really lick it. You have to have it touch your mouth, though. You have to you have, have, to have it, have touch, it your touch your lips. lips. You have yeah, you to kiss it, right? Yeah. yeah, you have to kiss it. The most oddly specific fetish I've ever heard. It is so. <laughs> oh, it it's is, not a fetish. It's, let me tell you what. It is, I had heard of this, and I had a, a little bit of reservation before doing it. A little. But what? you don't have. But 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 here's the thing. You don't have a choice. <laughs> like you have to do this if you're no. there. You, you have to you do it. You could have been an innocent bystander and then oh, got made fun of. Sorry. Yes. I think the first people that I knew of were were our um, friends at Expedition Overland that went up and did it. Yeah, I, I had never heard of it until we watched Expedition Overland. But so that uh, was the question. On uh, Expedition Unknown or ex- one of the Expedition, I don't know what the show. It's a, one of the Josh Gates shows that are on like Discovery Travel Channel. I saw him do it once. Yeah, That's how I know about it. So, inquiring minds want to know. I want to know. Where does the toe come from? Uh-huh. A human? <laughs> yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, our lips, I think people, our lips are sealed. No, I no. think people have have basically 
in, don't quote me on this, but I think I think people have like donated their toe like well, this. Well, like the original toe or two, and then I think didn't the guy die or something I like that? Know. And I think there was like a marathon runner that died what? or something and didn't donated one of their toes. Okay. I or, bet you Google knows. So yeah, I would, I would I don't, Google more than I'd the, Google the, it, the yeah. hearsay that we heard while we were doing the toe. No, that's not a really bad. Well, you do the toe. Yeah, you, you do the toe. toe. Yeah, it's it's its tenth toe that they're on right now. Oh, okay. It started, it started in seventy three. I, I am currently googling it. Um, <laughs> that is absolutely disgusting. Looking at a picture, it of it, by the way. <laughs> Thankfully, we had a really robust uh, medical kit that was outside our vehicle, and you know, or inside our vehicle outside if we needed to from Chiron Remote. So, you know, God forbid if we had any upheaval of sorts or craziness. I mean, the the bar was packed because all of us Looney Tunes that were there with the rallyers, you know, it did not include anything for athletes. For yeah, right. I don't think it had that. I, this is well beyond that. I think it's said, beyond that, yeah. The the first the first toe belonged to a miner and rum runner named Louis Lycan, who had his frostbitten appendage amputated in the twenties. He preserved it in a jar of alcohol in his cabin for memories, and then fifty years later, in seventy three, Yukon local Dick Stevenson found the jar while cleaning a cabin, brought the toe to Sourdough Saloon. And started plunking it into the drinks of those who were brave enough. Therefore, the Sour Toe Cocktail Club was formed. So you're in the Sour Tail Cocktail Club now. Yes, we are. We, we proud, had to buy. To, we're not. Yeah, we yes. have our certificates. We're members. We all took it. Cars 3849-40. All of our buddy cars. All three of us together. We're team back of the bus, as we jokingly said, because we were kind of back of the bus, um, being late starters. But we all did it. We all got our certificates, and I got the photo as proof, man. I also learned that Yukon Jack is delicious, which is It is. Honest. Well, it would be probably even more delicious on its own. <laughs> so there used to be a $500 fine to drink the toe down. And Ooh, inflation's no. a, inflation's yeah, inflation's a, a you know what. <laughs> well, no, because somebody came in, plunked down $500, and swallowed the toe on purpose. Yeah, I've heard of this Get before. out. So, heard of so they, they jacked the fine up to 2500 to discourage that. Oh, but, God. You can pair it with well, any drink, but one rule remains the same. You can drink it fast. You can drink, you it, can slow, drink it slow. But the lips have got to touch the toe. The gnarly toe. Yeah, he's added in. The bartender's added in, not touch the toe, but touch the gnarly toe. And, and we I've got were, a video of it. And we, were, we, were ha- we were told it had to be over, I think, 90 Was it 90 proof? It had to be really oh, high alcohol know. content alcohol because there is a, for all of those beverage enthusiasts that are listening there's a fantastic canadian maple flavored whiskey maple mm. syrup flavored whiskey called sortilege sortilege is awesome and uh, i they said do you want it in just yukon jack i'm like well i see you have sortilege I'm like oh it's got to be higher proof than that i said oh okay so it does have to be a certain uh, a certain proof wasn't alcohol. it steph from paul river that that introduced us to sortilege it was yes anyway. I'm, I'm not gonna lie this is really gross looking at it i can't oh it's disgusting even believe you did it you have to do it. Oh, you yeah. have I feel like I would have done oh, yeah. it there. I don't Photos know. Photos and videos proof, man. It's not as bad as you think. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not questioning that you did it. I'm just questioning if I could have done it because it's, it's a win in Rome thing. Have a couple of beers beforehand. Even though be we fun. got back really late and the, the, you know, of course we didn't get any plugins because why would we get plugins for the electrical outlets um, to plug in the Pajero? We were able to go before the bar closed. We went there and we're like, oh my God, this is a place. And so, you know, of course we had to, uh, had to do it. Oof. Okay. 
Well, because we're, we're strong, we're strong like that, right? Strong, or we're yeah. I, 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 listen, yeah. I, I like to think <laughs> that I'm strong like and adventurous too, but this picture is uh, a picture of a thousand words. Experience. Yeah, it, that's it what they really call is. the gnarly toe. It's gnarly. There's no question. <laughs> wow. I, I sorry. I don't mean to like harp on this, but wow, it's now Andrew, you know the Andrew, real us. Did you Google this, Andrew? Oh, I've seen it on TV. Have you looked at the picture of this toe? Yeah, I saw it. They showed it on TV. I mean, looking at the length of the toenail, when this man was alive, he didn't have clean feet. <laughs> so I'm not sure. Anyway, that's a that's a thing. That's a that's this is not the story I expected the podcast to go down. Uh, I'm well, happy it did because it's a great story. I'm happy you did it, you, not me. You never know. You never know when you have either of us on or both of us, especially, is double the power. So you never know what we're going to be talking about. Well, I think that if you up a drinking a drink with a human body part in it, I probably don't want to know. So <laughs> this you might so you might have topped it. That brings me to I think probably one of the last questions was uh do you have any regrets from uh this trip? Other than drinking a human toe, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I don't even regret that. But um I I I personally have no regrets at all. Um I think we still yeah, you know, we we learned a lot. I think that our ridiculous amount of preparation was was probably uh, a good idea, considering we didn't have any issues with anything we you know any vehicle problems, yeah, any clothing, stuff. you know, wardrobe malfunctions or anything. <laughs> but um, uh, I, I did learn that you know, okay, if you get in late. You better be prepared to bring your own dinner, kind of thing. You know, like so Mountain House. Yeah, we yeah we, we ended up eating Mountain House a couple of times, just you know, dehydrated camp backpacking food, um, which is better than no food if you get in late um, or wake up early. Breakfast right. skillet and fajita bowl. Man. Right. Here's the yeah, that's right. Here's another pro tip for anybody considering doing this: is <laughs> if you if you get up a lot of these and go for breakfast, a lot of these places, these smaller towns. Or even the hotel you're staying at, they're not accustomed to having a hundred people show up for for breakfast, and so your, the open. wait is going to be super long, and yeah. you might not get out in time to do your TSD rally in the morning. So we had brought a bunch of, of Mountain House dehydrated like backpacking food, and we would I would I would just like cycle hot water through the coffee maker in the room and put that in the Mountain House so we'd have hot breakfast in the morning. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, it, um, you know, that worked really well. I, I definitely, I would not say I have a single regret at all. I don't have a single regret. I mean, Andy and I spent, it was close to a year in the making, six months solid for preparing. And I'm almost borderline OCD. Um, I'm very, very, very detailed. And I both hate it and love it about myself. Um, it helps with the hand washing during the coronavirus. Shit, you said sorry. you weren't going to talk sorry. about sorry, that, sorry. that thing going on. Um, but anyways, I'm extremely detailed. And I think for me, doing lists upon lists upon more lists of, you know, what's going to be, you know, what's in our vehicle recovery uh, kit from Warren, what's going to be in our Rome boxes, what's going to be in our Chiron remote medical kit, you know, what's going to be in our, um, you know, food bag. We had like a temporary runner bag where we had our food and water and we had our little camelback, you know, water things so we could drink on the fly. And you know, and I laminated those. Don't laugh. I laminated them and I actually literally spent a long, long, long time listing all that stuff out because I knew it's like, okay, in a pinch, in a panic, 
what are you going to do? You're going to freak out. You know, energy is going to be high. You're going to be crazy. You're going to be like, oh my God, blah, 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 and you won't be able to think straight. So laminating stuff, getting stuff listed out, getting stuff taped onto boxes as to what you have where, all of that stuff prevented any anxiety or any regret because I knew we were prepared. We dotted our I's and crossed our T's probably a dozen times versus just twice or three times. Um, do I have any regrets? Boy, not really. I think the only thing I forgot was my little hard drive backup for my photographs, my cable, but somebody else on the rally had it and kindly lent it to me. Thank you. Um, lent it to me along the way so I could back up photographs, but um, no regrets. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. It was a chance of a lifetime, a challenge of a lifetime, but also a chance of a lifetime. What she said. <laughs> That's cool. And I, and I can speak from experience. I've done, I think, quick math, 20 TSDs and uh, still yeah, very, cool. very bad at them. Yeah, very, very <laughs> bad at them. Yeah. We've always, uh, we've always run seat of the pants and not done any kind of timing officially with equipment or anything. Um, and it's never worked out in our favor. Pretty good about staying on course. Like we got like relatively good at staying on course, but and occasionally you'll get we'll get lucky with maybe like a ten or a fifteen or something. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's usually a lot of it's usually a lot of two hundreds. Yeah, same. But you know, they say like our friends Paul and Yulia, I mean they've won Alcan before. Well, and they came in third place this year and won the ice race. Yeah, and uh like they, they said that so like just learn to stay on course before you start doing all your crazy mathematical calculations. Right. We started off, you know, they were very gracious to show us, and by us I mean Mercedes, because I'm <laughs> math challenged. They showed her how, challenged. how to do um, uh, the, the calculations the, a lot of the calculations time. and for time and all that stuff. And, and I, I think we probably dove in a little farther than we needed to. Well, but then we, we were ready to. Yeah. I mean, we, we ended up staying on course. We never missed a, a control, anything like that. So that was successful for us. But, you know, we're going to we're going to get better at this. We really we really like TSD rally. And I think the biggest thing for us is like Andy just pointed out is staying on course first. And then when when you feel like you can stay on course and you don't kill each other and you're good at following directions and and all that kind of thing and your rig is running well, then try to introduce the time calculations part of it. And, and then speed, you know, speed hacks to be able to get that going. So we're at that point, I think we're seasoned enough-ish <clears throat> to be able to introduce some of those things. Um, but I think for us, you know, I, I wrote down statistics along the way. So it was apparently 5,120-ish miles. I don't think that included, that may not have included our venture up to Coldfoot or not. But I did a starting Odo, mind you, the uh, rally, or I'm sorry, the Terra Tractor, which is our Pajero, is only in kilometers per hour. But we did a starting Odo of 121,892 kilometers on our Odo. We're 8% nine off, 8.9% uh, off with our uh, tire uh, being different. And we finished out and calculated out how many miles we actually drove from our home to get to the start line in Kirkland. Start line up to, you know, uh, Inuvik, Tuktiaptuk, Arctic Ocean, back down to White Horse, all the way back over to Fairbanks, and in Anchorage, and then fly back home. So the total miles traveled on the Pajero with the adjusted tire size, mind you, and kilometers per hour to miles per hour is 5,400.35. And flying home was 1,542 miles. And that garnered us an estimated total of 6,942 total miles for this TSD. That's, that's, a, that's a big number. 
That's yeah. kind of a crazy, insane number. <laughs> That's driving back and forth across the country twice. Yeah, pretty so much. I had done oh, the yeah, calculation. Yeah. Like, if we had decided to go 5,400 miles south, we would have ended up in Peru. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Yeah. That's crazy. Warmer, yeah, by the way, warmer there. Yeah. You would have gone through some slightly less safe areas in the way there, I'm, I'm assuming, though. So you yeah. probably did better by going to Alaska. Yeah. Oh, the, you know, that brings up a really, well, not a good point about that, but um, that brings up a major point that I wanted to cover just quickly. Um, the people, the, the ralliers, the organizers, Jerry Hines, the owner of the rally. Um, Lots all the of, staff, they were all bandits. The, no, know, stop. They were, they, you know, and the sweeps teams, hats off to those guys. All those people, especially the rally people, um, even though we're competitors, we were all family. I miss those guys absolutely terribly. Another thing that was really interesting for me was meeting the locals along the way. It was so cool to just get a, a tiny glimpse into their, their life to see what they're all about, who they are, what they wanted to share with you. They were so inquisitive about our vehicles to see kind of some of these stickers on here and they wanted to know and they, they're like, oh, they, you know, this one guy that was a, a carver, an older, older gentleman, you know, I think it was at 70 mile house, 70 mile, 70 mile road or 70 mile house or something. A really interesting town name. And, um, and he stopped me and, you know, Andy was going, uh, going, I don't know, getting some food or, or actually going to the restroom and coming back out. And he said, oh, you know, he said, oh, Inuvik. He says, oh, I was up in Tuktiuktuk in Inuvik and I couldn't even replicate my accent if I wanted to. And he said he learned from some of the people up there how to do all these really native carvings and and, and since have done that. Oh, it was 70 Mile House. Where, where was that? It was in it's Canada? It's in British Columbia. Oh, British Columbia in Canada uh, further north. And he said he learned from the natives up there. And then, you know, he, he just progressed with his learning and doing all these carvings. And I think there was a, a townsperson that had cancer and couldn't afford um, the insurance to be able to do the chemo or to be able to, you know, get themselves better. He donated, I have it written up, I want to say like 70 or 80 of his carvings and ended up raising like eight or $9,000 for the local to be able to do the cancer treatment. It's like stories like that that just make me kind of well up right now because it, it, there's so many good people in this world. And for us, I think it was the people, for me, it was the people that you met, no matter if they're ralliers, organizers, but the natives, the people that, the locals, that you met along the way that was so cool and so enriching and so galling and rewarding. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Right. Agreed. Yeah, completely. That's so well said. And I think people with a commonality, you know, common common interest, helping each other and, you know, teaching other teaching each other. And I just it's it's so cool. It's just it's amazing. Did I mention <laughs> that, did I mention I put it in the snowbank once? No, it's, it's there, okay. there, there is video maybe lurking out on Facebook. Thank you, JR, about us having to snail uh snow it or sail it into a snowbank with our snail on the back. But you're right. It's, everybody was safe. All the you know, our everybody made it back in one piece and yeah, you know, it's and all good. 
And I mean, um, just, you know, the, those people that, um, you know, that have had challenges, I mean, hopefully ever, everybody's overcome and is decompressing well. And, you know, our, our hats and Godspeed off to, to the gentleman, Steve, and that's um, getting surgery today with his ankle, you know, Godspeed on a quick recovery for him. I don't. Uh, it was a joy having you two on again. Um, do you have any, uh, well, you can tell people where they can find you on social media. And if you've got anybody to plug or anything to plug, uh, feel free to do that right now. Yeah, you bet. Um, so we're at crankshaftculture.com. Uh, you can find us on Facebook at Crankshaft Culture, Instagram at Crankshaft Culture, Twitter at Crankshaft Cult, although I haven't been posting much there. Uh, and then we have a YouTube channel as well that we'll be populating more of. Um, thanks to everybody that helped us along the way. Uh, we had a whole bunch of amazing sponsors. Um, uh, a lot of our friends and family helped out. And, you know, much, much love, much appreciation to all those people. Well, and with those people, you know, without those people, we wouldn't be able to have done this rally. And, and so, you know, keep watching Crankshaft Culture's social media as well. You know, Andy and Mercedes Lilienthal personally on Facebook as well. Um, we will be sharing out the different publications. We'll be on, you know, podcast, of course, radio. We did some national um, and live radio a couple of days ago, a few different um, channels. And then YouTube with Pickup Truck and SUV Talk with Tim Estradal. Um, also Tread Magazine, uh, DirtSportsWorld.com. And, um, you know, you never know. I think that there's going to be other articles coming down the pipeline about maybe some of the gear that we used and some of the different products that we used that, you know, what did work and how did we do things and what worked and what didn't work. Um, so, you know, as far as the list of sponsors, um, that would be on Crankshaft Culture's social media. You'll be able to see some of the posts. Um, and again, of course, friends and family, um, hats off to the support, the prayers, the love, the devotion, the dedication, just to be able to get us there. And we appreciate you guys having us on there. Yeah. Thanks for having us again. Yeah. Thanks for coming. Absolutely. All right, Brad, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at TSISS350. All right, cool. So you can always find the Auto Off Topic podcast on Facebook, Auto Off Topic on Instagram. You can find me, Race and Anger on Instagram. And uh, just one final word is just please look out for each other. Uh, we've got some trying times coming. Try to support local businesses as best you can. Do whatever you can. Yep. Be nice, be nice to each other. This is something that we're all in it together. And hopefully this podcast gives you a little bit of an escape from it. And uh, that's a little thing that we're trying to do. It's not much, but it is something, right? So as always, keep cars analog and aim for the roses.